0: Welcome to the Odomtology 12-Step Podcast, brought to you by your number one source for recovery media online, broadcasting hope and healing 24-7. Come on by and see us at www.otemptology12step.com. Here's your host, Robert O.,
1: Welcome everybody to episode 3 of the Odontology 12 Step podcast. We have a great show lined up today and I'd like to thank everyone for being here. We've got a very special speaker and I'm going to warm this up a little bit. If you have something else to do or if you can't devote the full time, it's about 40 minutes or so. If you can't devote that to listening to the speaker, go to odontology12step.com, listen to episode 1 or 2 or at the time I'm recording this so there'll be more 5 6 you know on down the line but listen to another episode if you can't devote 40 minutes to this because this is a very special speaker and out of all the tapes in our archives he has pretty much the most unique story. He's also a guy from NA too. So all the addicts out there, the Narcotics Anonymous people, this one is great. If you're not in Narcotics Anonymous, don't worry. It's got great recovery principles and it's a great story. So our very special episode today is Jose P. Now, if you go to our YouTube channel, Jose actually talks to people. uh, Just leave a comment. He's always really receptive and just a wonderful, nice guy. So if you like what you hear, hop by our YouTube page, uh, say, hey, Jose, how's it going? And feel free to reach out to him because he's always hanging out on the YouTube page under Jose P. But anyway, his story is so powerful and amazing. I don't even really know where to begin. But I guess we'll begin with Jose starting his story. He's a teenager. He got involved in drug at a very early age and he was kind of lost and just not really having direction in life and we pick up the story where he's 15 years old. He's, I think, skateboarding and smoking weed and doing drugs and a bunch of different things. And in his culture, they have a spiritualist, a type of person, you know, someone not really like a psychic, but somebody that's kind of um, a spiritual sage, so to speak. And Jose is 15 years old and he goes to this spiritual person. So we'll let Jose begin his story from there.
2: So she told me, she put her hand over my heart, and she says, oh my God, she says, you're gonna live a long life. She says, you're gonna live until you're 81 years old. This is what she tells me, that I'm gonna live until I'm 81 years old. And I'm like, okay, what else? And she said, and you're gonna have three children. She said, you're gonna have a boy and two girls. And I said, okay thanks, you know, can I go now, you know, because I'm like 15 years old, you know, And, um, and I went about my way. I wind up reuniting back with my dad and moved to the Bronx, and that's where I met Janet. Got pregnant, 1982, my daughter Belinda was born in the Lincoln Hospital, you know? Um, After, you know, after that, um, I kept using, and you know how we make promises to our spouse that we're gonna stop using, we're gonna stop using, and we're gonna change our life. And it didn't happen. So one day Janet told me, I don't love you no more. That's the worst thing from, besides when a woman tells you, I just want to be your friend. (laughs) She said, "I, I don't love you no more. And that she had met someone else. So... I'm devastated because here I am, 20, 20, like 20 years old, and I'm devastated that this woman doesn't love me no more. So I went to the port authority, and I took a bus, midnight bus, back to Atlantic City, and my plans were to kill myself. Um... And uh, I met a guy. You know, you ever meet someone, a stranger, and tell them everything about you? <laughs> I, m- I met a guy, and he saved my life. The bus was crowded, one seat left. And I was like, damn it, man, I don't wanna get on this bus. And I told the bus driver, when's the next bus? He says seven in the morning, and it was midnight. So I sat next to this old man, his name was John Pedro Santiago. I'll never forget him, but he liked to be called Pedro. (laughs) So I sat next to him, and he could see that I was in pain, and I was, you know, in pain. And I had this button that I used to wear that said, F everybody, you know. So I had this button on, and he's got like this smile on his face. And he says, hi. He says, in Spanish, very strong accent, hi, my name is Pedro. And I turn on my overhead light, and I went, bro, can you read? <laughs> And he said to me, I can't read English. (laughs) So I wasn't going to, you know, take advantage of an older man and curse him out, you know. So he asked me, what's wrong? And I said, nothing. And he asked me again, okay, what's wrong? So then he started automatically talking about himself. You know, that he had a wife and one daughter, and he lived in Atlantic City on Sovereign Avenue, and he told me his address, and I'm like, why is this guy telling me all this? So finally, I opened up, and I told him that what happened, and I'm ready to, I'm going to go kill myself, but I wanted to say goodbye to my mother, you know, and um. How I was gonna kill myself, I was gonna jump in the ocean so they wouldn't even find me. Um, We talked all the way to Atlantic City. When we got to Atlantic City, he says to me, hang in there, Jose, all in Spanish. I can't say it the way he said it in Spanish. He said a few things, but he said, before I got off the bus, he said, your life is gonna change by the time you turn 25 years old. So I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he said, just keep your daughter in your head. Don't kill yourself, you have a daughter. You don't want her to grow up knowing that her father gave up. So, you know, didn't kill myself, of course. Um, (laughs) You know, and I have to say that I got clean July 24th, 1988, two months after my birthday, and I was 25 years old. And it's funny, you know, like before we get clean, we always want to do that last one. (laughs) I was waiting for this guy to take me to detox, and I, you know, I had 20 bucks, so I went to cop, and I wind up getting beat. (laughs) (laughs) And I walked all the way back home, and I cried to my mother, and I said, I I can't wait until two o'clock. You know, I said, I gotta do something to just, you know, compose myself. She gave me $20, of course. You know, I went and copped. I went and bought one bag. And I swear to God, if I'm lying on dying on my children, the name of the bag was This Is It. And I'm walking home, just looking at this bag. It, you know? it was it wasn't like, "This is it. This is the shit. It was like, Jose, this is it. You know? you're you're done after this.
0: Tired of drowning in countless speaker tapes, searching for the right one. Come on by our website www.otemptology12step.com, where quality is our mission. We personally listen to, and approve of, every single speaker tape we post. This is what makes Odontology 12-Step Recovery Media stand out. If you listen to one of our speakers, we can assure you it is entertaining, easy to listen to, and carries a strong message of recovery and hope. Our site is the perfect way to enhance your recovery by listening to only the best 12-step speakers and reading our amazing recovery blog. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is the number one recovery channel on the platform with over 12 million views. www.odontology12step.com Broadcasting hope and healing 24-7.
2: So I got clean, you know, I I went into the detox and then I went to a rehab and I'm still clean. You know, I, I came into Narcotics Anonymous, you know, it's, I tell you, Narcotics Anonymous has changed my life. The steps has changed my life. So I got clean in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Like I said, met some great people. Six months, I got a sponsor, you know? And when I celebrated my first year clean, I was so excited to have a year, and I was um, walking to the meeting, because I didn't have a car, I used to walk to the meeting, and all of a sudden, I thought about John Pedro Santiago because he told me to look him up to let him know that he was doing that I was doing well so i was trying to remember his address i know it was sovereign avenue and you know i couldn't remember so i said okay how many puerto ricans can live on sovereign avenue it was all a Puerto Rican street. I mean, there was, it was all Boricuas. It was all in the mailboxes. Santiago, Santiago, Rivera, Gonzalez. I was like, what the fuck? you know? I was like, oh my God, you know? So I kept going house to house and, and knocking, ringing in the apartments and saying, I'm looking for John Pedro Santiago, but he likes to be called Pedro. No, nobody here by that name, nobody here by that name. So finally, I go up, I remember his address, it was 356. I remember his address, I look across the street, I go, wow, that's it right there. I run over there, because I'm so excited, you know, a year clean, and I wanna let him know that he was a big part of it. So, I knock on the door, this girl comes out and say, hey, I, I say hi. I mean, this might sound crazy, but I'm, I'm looking for this guy named John Pedro Santiago. Um, you know, he's about five, five, mustache, salt and pepper hair, blah, 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 and it was the wrong house, you know? So I was ready to give up, and I walked some more, and then, I just went to another house, and that was the house. So another girl came up, and I said, hi, I'm looking for this guy named John Pedro Santiago, and she said to me, oh, he died. And I said, oh. I said, I probably have the wrong house. Um, He likes to be called Pedro. And she said, yeah, that's him. she said, that's my father. I said, well, I just wanted to come and thank him because, you know, about five years ago, five or six years ago, whatever it was, he, you know, he saved my life, you know. And she looked at me and said, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Just like that. So I had to say it like that. So I said, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I was, he saved my life. And she said to me, she said, my father died 25 years ago. I said, well, we must have the wrong person. I said, I was coming on a bus from New York City, midnight bus, and that's where I met him. And when I mentioned the bus, New York City, she starts crying. Her tears roll down her eyes. And she said, um, she said, my father died on a bus coming back from New York City. He had a heart attack 25 years ago. So I said, okay. Um... (laughs) so I'm starting to feel like I'm in the twilight zone. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, you know, I said to her, well, I described him. I say he had a little silver little flask, and on it was um, to my beloved husband from his wife, Tuti, and when the mother came out and I said, Are you duty? She almost passed out because nobody calls her duty but Pedro. So I told her my experience that I had on the bus with him and I described what he was wearing and everything. And um, that was the clothes he died in. Um, And they they were getting ready to, um, at the end of the month, they were getting ready to move back to Puerto Rico because the mother wasn't well. She wanted to die in her hometown. We stayed connected, you know, until she passed away, but I lost contact with the daughter, you know, because every year for my anniversary, you know, I would call them and let them know I was doing good and I'm still clean and, you know, I don't know why
1: stuff like that happened to me. You know, it just did. Oh man, that is just such a powerful story. And Jose is absolutely awesome. So we're about halfway through the story at this point and it's going to get more emotional and even crazier. So if you've got any sort of tissues or if you're at work or on the treadmill or something <laughs> listening to this, uh, be ready to cry. So um, just just putting that out there just in case so I don't get emails saying, hey, I started crying, which I do quite a bit for the YouTube channel and different things. So just warning you, it's, uh, it's emotional and you can also reach out to Jose. Uh, like I said earlier in the show, he's hanging around the YouTube page a lot. You can see the guy whose name is Jose and then a last name that starts with a P and he's responding to everybody, that's him. (laughs) And the guy that says, this is me, you know, so I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say his last name or anything, but if you go to uh, the Odontology YouTube channel, search Jose P, you'll find him there. So we will let him share the second half of his story. And it's absolutely incredible. We'll let Jose take it away.
2: So anyway, it took him six years to get back to Narcotics Anonymous, and he has almost three years clean, and he's here tonight. And that is such a blessing for me, you know? Um, As my life kept moving on, I met the love of my life the woman that became my wife, my best friend, Michelle. Um, And uh, I already had a daughter. She had a 15 year old. My daughter was almost 20. And we talked about not having no kids and going on trips and all that stuff. And it was great, and we wind up having sex, and she was on birth control, so I was like, yes, this is gonna work. <laughs> and, um, and she wind up pregnant, on birth control. <laughs> you know, so, we're in Atlantic City, in, in, in our condo, and she comes out of the bathroom with her pants to her knees. So I'm thinking she wants to have sex. I'm like, oh shit, I'm ready, you know? <laughs> but then, she has this, you know, test thing. <laughs> and she says, I'm pregnant. And boy, that shit went whoop. It went right down, man. So she said, well, what do you want to do? I said, we're gonna keep it. If you got pregnant while you're on birth control, then it's meant for us to have this child, you know? So we had this child. My son, Julian, was born September 2002, you know? Our second, my second child, you know, My son is real special. He's autistic. He has changed my life, made me look at things a different way. You know, when we found out he was autistic, man, my wife fought for all these services, and you know, it's, oh my God, amazing woman, an amazing woman. And uh, he, you know, if anybody's familiar with autistic children, they mimic what you say. You know, like if you say, I love you, they say, I love you. If you say hi, they say hi. You know, it's just like that. So my son stopped talking. He couldn't talk. Today he's going, right, he's going to third grade. He talks. He has conversations. He reads books. And I don't have to prompt him to talk no more to say, the first time my son hugged me and said, Daddy, I love you. You're my best friend. Yeah. That is priceless, priceless. You can't, you can't buy that, you know? As time went on, you know, my daughter's 20, her son's like 16, we're like, oh my God, Julian needs a sibling, you know? <laughs> this was one that we actually planned. But he said, first we're gonna pray. I said, God, please give us a sign if we're supposed to have another child. So I prayed. About a week later, this Puerto Rican guy comes over to my house, Antonio, from my area with his daughter, Daisy. And if anybody knows autistic children or been around autistic children, they don't like to be around other children. They like adults, but other, they like to be in their own world. So when Antonio walked in with his daughter, my son ran right up to her, hugged her, started kissing her, and me and my wife, my wife and I looked at her and go, oh my God. We're supposed to have another child. He needs a sibling. So, you know, we had sex, got (laughs) pregnant. (laughs) And she was eight weeks pregnant, and we went to Florida, and we were gonna get married in Florida, Orlando. You know what I mean? We got married in Orlando. So we went to Florida. She's eight weeks pregnant. We're supposed to get married that Monday. And that Friday, she starts bleeding. We go to the hospital, Celebration Hospital. And, you know, they take a picture of the, the woman and the blood and all that. And said to us, there's no heartbeat. So... You two things you can do, we can give you a pill and you can leave or you can get a DNC. I told my wife, take the pill, my wife never listens to me. So she said, I want the DNC. So we were there 10 hours, she finally got the DNC man. We were freaking devastated. And we still went with our vacation and I said, we're gonna try again. So when we got back home, we tried again, and about eight weeks later, she was pregnant again. And I'm like, damn, I'm fucking good, man. <laughs> you know? This is what goes through my head. So she goes to the doctor, she's like 20, she she's thinks, this is the story, it gets weird. But this is the miracle. She goes to the doctor. She believes she's like eight weeks pregnant. The doctor does the sonogram, shows the picture, and she said, Oh, he said, Mrs. Planton, he said, you're 20 weeks pregnant. And she said, You got the wrong baby up there. <laughs> she says, I'm not 20 weeks pregnant. I'm like eight weeks pregnant. He said, No, you're like 20 weeks pregnant. He said, No, that can't be because I just had a DNC on this date. So the doctor they go all the way back to you know to do the thing. My wife was still pregnant from the DNC they did. And we're like, oh my god. So the hospital in Florida kept calling us for the fifty dollar copay. And I said to them, dude, listen, you don't want to be messing with my wife. You guys just gave my wife a DNC. She is still pregnant. She's ready to sue you. (laughs) But I said, we're not gonna sue because this is a miracle. You know? So, we kept going. About a month or so later, she started bleeding again. We run to the hospital. The Doctor said, the baby's okay. We had to go every three, four days to the hospital and check and everything. It was the toughest pregnancy ever. So finally, she's born six weeks early. See, and this ain't ain't nothing against men, but women are the strongest people on this planet. (laughs) And I have a lot of respect for you. You know, because I do, they, they are. Any person that, I mean, it's just unbelievable. So, my daughter was born six weeks early. My daughter Maya, you know? We named her Maya Destina, you know, because she's part of our destiny. She was here for a reason. It's, a, it's beyond my wildest dreams, man, how, how this happened. You know, um, moving along, started a business, got a, a mortgage, a second mortgage, you know, loan, whatever. started a business, lost a business with this economy. I'm still paying on loans. But see, this is where I believe where some things happen for a reason, okay? We lost the business in July. In October, my wife got diagnosed with small cell cancer. You know, um, it totally, totally turned our life upside down. In and out of hospitals, sick like a dog. We thought it was over, and a few weeks ago, We found out that she's got more tumors on her spine. And we're devastated. Um, But in all this time, I still practice the program. I still go to work. I take care of my kids. I feed them, I bathe them, and I take care of my wife. She's my best friend. <laughs> um and how could you not take care of your best friend, you know? If you're married, if you're in a relationship with someone, I hope they're your best friend. And I hope you thank God for them, you know? My wife right now is in Hawaii because her son is deploying to Iraq. So she's devastated about that. She just started her chemo again and we're going to just take it a day at a time and continue to move forward. And what happens, you know, I can't afford you know what's sad is when I get in my head And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to have to bury my wife. I'm going to have to tell my children. And I try not to go there. You know, at my job, some other people think I'm still getting high. (laughs) because I'm always smiling and joking and I keep telling them that I'm just having flashbacks and they don't get it. (laughs) And some of them, some of them think I'm into some religious thing and they ask me where do I go because they want to come there too. (laughs) And I say to them, you can come. I know they won't, but you can come. I said, there's a bunch of people just like me, you know, that are high on life, you know? That are high on life. You guys are awesome, you know? I have a, I have a, a sister, and she's here tonight. She just celebrated 15 years clean. You know, I I have a great sponsor, you know, Jack. Love him. I have a great sponsor. Um, I have great friends. I I still try to get to a lot of meetings. I love to serve. I love to help people. But I love to help people that want to help themselves. You know, I'm not going to waste my time if you don't want to help yourself. You know, I'm not doing it. So, these, this is what the steps mean to me. And I'm so glad that this is a we fellowship and everybody comes up with their own everything. You know, the steps for me are about meaning. They give you meaning. You know, they teach you about trust. They teach you about self-forgiveness. You know, in the fourth step, you find out who you really are. You know, and the, tra- the traditions... They teach you about purpose. And what I mean by purpose is feeling that you belong somewhere, that you're a part of service. You know, that we learn how to serve an NA, and in turn, we learn how to serve others. One of the one of the reasons why I don't wear NA shirts no more, and I'm not knocking anybody that wears them. This is my own experience on why I don't I had a white shirt that said "My gratitude speaks when I care and share with others the NA way and one day in, in Ventnor I'm at a Wawa you know and I park in the handicapped spot <laughs> because because I'm lazy <laughs> So I come out and this old man says to me, you know you're not supposed to park there. And I said to him, why don't you mind your effing business? So he came up to the car and I thought he was going to hit me. (laughs) And he said to me, you know the difference between you and I? He said, I would never curse at you. So as I'm driving away, slithering in my seat, I stop at the next door, CVS, and I'm still thinking about this old man. I get to my girlfriend's house, I walk in, and this old man is sitting in my living room. And I said, oh shit. I said, how did he find my house? You know? And it turned out that it was my girlfriend at the time's father um, visiting from Philadelphia. And he didn't say nothing. He didn't mention it to her. He didn't say nothing. He let me squirm all night. Needless to say, that relationship didn't last. But that's the reason why I don't wear NA shirts no more. Because when I act like an idiot, I want to remain anonymous. Thank you for letting me share.
1: Oh, man, that had me rolling when he had the T-shirt and everything. That is, I can just imagine the reactions that were going on when he's talking about the T-shirt and the father-in-law and everything. And again, if you want to find out uh, about Jose and his life and uh, what happened to his wife, I really don't feel like it's my place to just say right here on the podcast, because I just want to let his tape speak for itself. But again, you can contact him, hop by www.odontology.com. 12 step.com drop us a line we can send you a link or you can just go to youtube and type in jose p odontology and you'll be able to find him out there But anyway, that was (laughs) such a powerful story, such an amazing, inspirational man. Thank you, Jose, for everything you do. It's an absolute honor to be able to be a conduit for that message, that power to get out there. And you're an absolute inspiration to everybody. So just want to thank Jose again. And we're going to get into our Recovery Today segment. It's going to be a little bit shorter, but we're still going to have a Recovery Today segment. And this is one where we talk about, you know, do we make recovery our entire life? Uh, There's a big misconception out there that a lot of people think, Well, if you get into recovery, you're just replacing one addiction with another. You're just replacing the bags and bottles for meetings and coffee. And, you know, that, I guess, is true to a certain extent. But a lot of people think, well, you need to make AA your entire life or NA your entire life, and all you need to do is Narcotics Anonymous or whatever 12-step program that's out there. And that's really not true. It's through recovery and through these steps that we're able to to experience life so we're going to get into our recovery today segment and we'll go from there never be alone on your road to recovery with the odontology app for apple and android devices odontology has earned its large following by providing only the best recovery material available and now you can get it instantly all in one place there's over 100 hours of incredible content to keep you motivated and inspired in your recovery journey Search Odontology in the Apple or Google Play store and download the Odontology app. All right. Welcome back, everybody. And we're going to get started off with this next segment on a question. Uh, The question reads, quote, have you ever heard someone in the room say that we live AA and visit life? My sponsor tells me that, but sometimes I have a hard time with it because I don't feel like I got sober to go to AA all the time. I got sober so I could live my life. But she seems to believe that you get sober through AA, so you have to live the AA triangle all the time. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, because I think the point of AA is to bring the principles with you into how you handle your everyday life. Could you offer an opinion on that? Well, basically, this is kind of one, especially in early recovery. You know, you go to these AA meetings, you're around AA people all the time, you often make new friends with people in AA, and you kind of wonder, is this going to be my whole life? Is it going to be church basements and dances where you kind of have the newly sober people off to the corner and then the people that have been sober for a while going crazy on the dance floor? And you're like, this is a weird mix. But the whole thing with AA is that she's absolutely right in the fact that AA is what gives us life. The 12 steps is what we use to recover. And so we can experience life again. I think when the question or the kind of slogan gets thrown out there, well, we live in AA and we visit life. I think it doesn't necessarily mean it so much in that literal sense. Like for my own experience, for myself, it's the healing and the transformation that I experienced in the 12-step recovery process that enabled me to live my life. And I think that might be more kind of the gist of what that is saying, because I don't think anyone is telling you to, or at least in this instance, no one told me you have to do AA all the time and just visit your life. Now, early in recovery, going to these meetings and having AA and the 12 steps kind of incorporate more of my life was definitely a helpful thing because alcoholism and addiction had basically incorporated and took over my whole life and I had nothing to replace it with other than Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12 Steps. That's kind of another one of the criticisms I wanted to get into. And then we'll circle back to the original question. But oftentimes I hear, well, you're just replacing one thing with another. Rather than going to the bars, you're going to the AA meetings. Rather than doing X, you're now doing all this 12-step stuff and da-da-da. And even my whole thing would be, even if that premise is true, that I'm replacing, quote, one addiction with another, quote, addiction – well, this second addiction, AA, the 12 steps, well, my mother has never cried. My, I haven't lost my house, lost my job. I've never ended up in jail. I've never done any of those things with, quote, the addiction of going to meetings or the addiction of the 12 steps. So at the very least, you could say I upgraded, <laughs> I upgraded addictions to where one was crushing me and was going to potentially end my life, and the next one is definitely better, even if you want to say, oh, that's an addiction. So I think also another aspect of what this question brings out is a lot of people are sometimes under the false impression that to get sobriety and to get recovery, you have to be constantly going to meetings, constantly engaged in the step process, and constantly doing these things. Frankly, I think they think It's more time-consuming than it actually is. Now, granted, it is time-consuming, and you do want to work very hard at your recovery. I know I sure had to, but you want to avoid the misperception that to get sober, you basically have to completely do nothing but sobriety-related events. And for me, one of the great things about sobriety— is that I'm able to do the things that I always like to do, my same hobbies, going to football games, basketball games, baseball games, spending time with my family, spending time with my friends, engaging in my hobbies, because of the 12 steps, I'm able to do all those. So I think that's a critical part of the recovery process. And I don't think it gets enough kind of talked about enough that when you do get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, or Programs like that, it actually frees you up and you can engage with activities that you've always liked to do. And that brings us back to the question triggers. You know, I like to go to football games. I like to go to baseball games. I like to do all these certain things, but I drank at them. I did drugs at them a lot. Is it safe to go there? And that's a really good question. I think the apprehension and the care. That is taken when considering going to those things is very good. But one of the things that it doesn't have to be is scary. When you've worked the steps, when you've talked to a sponsor, when you're spiritually well enough to go to those things, you do. And then you go to them sober and you have a blast. And you're like, oh my gosh, I can remember the game. This is awesome. You go with your sober friends or you go with your family or whoever and you have a great time and then you replace those old drinking memories, for example, at a game with new fun sober memories. So I remember being early on in a treatment center and they said, "Okay, I want you to write down a list of your triggers. What makes you want to drink? And I would write Football baseball, basketball, and they'd be like, well, you've just got to avoid those things. And I'd be like, well, I I can't do that. I I love those things. And that's another misperception because AA and the 12 steps give us that ability to re-engage with life and to pick up those hobbies, to maybe start that painting we've always wanted to start, to try that hobby, try dance lessons, (laughs) yoga, whatever it may be, That's what the 12 steps is for. So going back to the original question, what do I say? What do I do when someone says, you live in AA and you visit life? I think the key to that question is putting that particular phrase, that particular slogan in context. It means that the 12-step recovery process is so all-encompassing and so transforming yes it does take over us and it does lead us to a healed recovered state but that allows us to go out and visit life so that's i think what the meaning behind it is with live in aa and visit life And that will do it for Episode 3 of the Odontology 12-Step Podcast. We'd like to thank you all for being here, and it's been an absolute honor to experience this recovery journey with you. We'd love to hear from you on Facebook, on Twitter, on Odomtology12step.com. We love hearing from anybody and everybody out there and all the incredible stories that you guys have. So feel free to drop us a line, and we will see you next time. God bless, everybody. This has been the Odomtology 12-Step Podcast. If you found this content helpful, please consider taking a moment to review and rate the podcast on iTunes. For more inspiration, come on by and see us at odontology 12 stepcom your online home for hope and healing 24-7.